All right. The switch was up, but I didn't do it, Chris. I swear I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> my mic was off. Let's start over again. It's six minutes, almost seven minutes now after the hour of the Around the House program. We'll be here for a couple hours talking about that <clears throat> special place that you and I call home. And we're so glad you're with us. Uh, thank you for enjoying uh, enjoying your weekend on the listening to the radio and admiring the snow. We've uh, I made it snow this week, by the way, Chris. I watered my lawn. <clears throat> like washing the car, I knew if I watered my lawn uh, that it was going to snow, and it, it and it did. So I watered I watered my lawn on Wednesday. Yeah, triple whammy. What's that? Triple whammy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so <clears throat> it's it's um, nice to have this precipitation. No, it's no. I think I watered my lawn on Thursday. Actually, anyway, it's good to have this uh, precipitation in our lives. Not nothing ever too serious around here, but we hope you'll. Um, You'll spend a couple hours with us, t- and we're going to talk to uh, Kathy Hook, who uh, <clears throat> was a guest back in the summer uh, on the program. Uh, we're talking about fire safety. She's with the Colorado Springs Fire Department, so we'll talk talk to Kathy in the second second hour. Here's um, a, a list. That I can't see who sent this to me. There's no email header on this. Questions with no apparent answers, Okay. If poison expires, is it more poisonous or is it no longer poisonous? Which letter is silent in the word scent? Is it the S or the C? Good question. Do twins ever realize that one of them is unplanned? Oh, that's terrible. Why is the letter W in English called double U? Shouldn't it be called double V? Yeah, Germans uh, pronounce it with a V, uh, of course. Um, and that's that's pretty common. Uh, V's and W's are reversed with um, in the German language. Maybe oxygen is slowly killing you, and it just takes 75 to 100 years to fully work. Good question. Every time you clean, here's something that might get you off the hook around the house. Every time you clean something, you just make something else dirty, <laughs> like a rag. Let's see, 100 years ago, everyone owned a horse and only the rich had cars. Today, everyone has cars and only the rich own horses. Go figure that one out. Here's six great confusions still unresolved. At a movie theater, which armrest is yours? Or in an airplane, right? Why is there a D in fridge but not in refrigerator? That's a good question, Chris. Who knew what time it was when they made the first clock? Now, that's interesting. Uh, Let's see here. Two or three, uh, four or five more of these. Why isn't a fireman called a waterman? Yeah, they don't start fires. They use water. Or now it's firefighter. Why isn't a firefighter called a waterfighter? How come lipstick doesn't do what it says? Huh? Get it? If a (laughs) vegetarian... This one's sick. If a vegetarian eats vegetables, what does a humanitarian eat? (laughs) Uh, Why are goods sent by ship called cargo... And those sent by truck called shipment. Interesting. Why do we put cups in the dishwasher and the dishes in the cupboard? Cupboard, right? Well, this one has always bothered me. Why do doctors practice medicine? Are they having practice at the cost of the rest of us? And a few of these about growing older. Eventually, you'll reach a point when you stop lying about your age and start bragging about it. That's right. Uh, Maybe like your friend, 90 plus, I'm sure he tells people he's over 90. The older we get, the fewer things seem worth waiting in line for. Amen. Absolutely. 
This one is really, really interesting. When you're dissatisfied and would like to go back to youth, think of algebra. Uh-huh. One of the many things no one tells you about aging is that it's such a nice change from being young. Well, I, I just kind of dispute that. Being young is beautiful, but being old is comfortable. Now, that's a good one to, to end on. I thought you'd like to hear a few of those. 719-473-1240. Well, I'm getting in the... It takes me a while. I get in the Christmas mood late. You know, I'm like... like The analogy would be people that shop on the 24th. I always come to feeling at Christmas <clears throat> about now, at the middle of the... Towards the middle of the month... I, I know I'm in a better mood, Chris, because I started playing uh, Greensleeves Radio on Pandora. Now, Greensleeves is a good radio station on Pandora. It's instrumentals only. So you can have it in the background. And you get that Christmassy thing. But I heard a thing on the radio the other day. There's a, there's a, 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 on Pandora, you can tune into Bob and Tom Radio. Now, Bob and Tom are a couple of talk show hosts in Indianapolis syndicate their show have you heard of bob and tom i'm sure you have chris yeah i've heard this show yeah it, your mic was was your mic oh yeah it was on it's kind of an edgy show they kind of get right close to the edge of uh, irritating the fcc and they're you know they don't use uh, like they don't use bad words but they get awfully close well they had a guy on there the other day who said um, he sounded like a young guy. He said, I used to work in a department store. And he said the song 12 Days of Christmas would drive me crazy because they'd play it over and over. And he said, I got to thinking. By the fifth day, this this uh, gal, the guy was going to give her the 12 Days of Christmas presents. By the fifth day, she's got 123 birds. Now, who's that into birds? So I hope she's got a newspaper subscription, <laughs> which I really like. And he said, don't forget, those geese are a laying. So it just goes on and on and on. And he goes into the pipers piping and the maids of milking, and, but more birds and more birds and more birds at 12 days of Christmas. It reminds me of, um, went to, we took the kids, we went to Mexico one Christmas and it was we had a lot of fun it was great the only thing that got to us was they maybe they were thought they were pleasing uh folks from you know from a, from north of the border i don't know they played feliz navidad over and over and over uh as if that were the only christmas song they knew with the trumpets and stuff it was fine at first but feliz navidad and eh, we wanted them to play something different so a lot of these songs are repeated 12 days of christmas you do tend to hear you hear a lot and um it's kind of amazing if you do the math and add up what everybody gets by the end of the 12 days uh <laughs> you you have an idea about how many the guy says how many stinking bites are in the uh, in the gift pack let's see here what we got <clears throat> this one is pretty timely i think and we've talked about this before but not in a in a while and i, I think it's worth kind of repeating and thinking about here this is from tim i have a new ranch home with a finished basement the lower level seems impossible to heat is there a way to fix this <clears throat> well i need to know the configuration because many times in newer houses uh they can they're configured so that the heat comes out of the ceiling which is very typical in a basement and that's it doesn't my house too but the problem is, where's the cold air return? How do we get that heat back through the furnace? Because the heat's got to circulate round and round. And I see in new homes, you said you had a new ranch home, 
Tim, that the cold air return and the heat vents are in the ceiling. And if that's the case, then the heat just goes round and round and round at the ceiling level and never gets down into the room where you sit and watch TV or play pool or whatever you do down in your down in your basement. So I'd want to know where the cold air return is and if it's big enough. And that's a that's the big mistake I see when people finish their basements. The heat comes out of the ceiling and it goes back in through the ceiling. Remember that the only way the furnace can heat your house is for it to come the heat to come out of the, the warm air to come out of the heat vents and find the cold air return to suck that air back through the furnace to be reheated. So in a basement, you need to I want to know where the cold air return ducts are. Uh, if they're on the ceiling, you need to block those off and put them on the near the floor level. Uh, so double check that. I wish I I knew more about how your basement is configured, but that's the biggest problem of all in a in a in a basement. And we have the opposite problem here than what we have in the summer. In the summer, upstairs is hot, basement's cold. It's the reverse in the um, in the wintertime, especially if you have an open stairwell, the heat tends to go upstairs because it's light. So sometimes if you're going to go down there, let's say you're, like I say, going to play pool or just going to hang out in the basement for an extended period, flip on the furnace fan switch. Let that furnace fan run uh, continually uh, because then that air will be circulated. It'll pull warm air from upstairs. You send it downstairs and vice versa. So uh, that's kind of the story there. That's typically almost always why basements don't heat as well, especially in a uh, ranch house with an open stairwell. So that's kind of the story there. Thanks for that email, Tim. It's 16 after the hour. Don't forget Kathy Hook from the fire department in our second hour today. We'll talk about fire safety, especially this time of year. We'll be right back. Well, I don't have to tell you how hard it is to find a good plumber. Uh, a lot of plumbing companies, you hear your friends and neighbors say, geez, I got the bill. It was half again what they said it was going to be. Not true with Three Amigos Plumbing, a fun name for a seriously professional plumbing company. No surprises, no sticker shock, just honest, upfront pricing. Veteran-owned local company. You'll like the way they do their business. They want you as a long-term customer, and they especially want you to refer your friends and family to Three Amigos. Now, there's barely time now to get your uh, sewer line checked before Christmas gets here. We have, we're have we a little over two weeks away now. They'll give you a free TV camera look at your sewer line if you have them clean the line. So don't let holiday catastrophes in your sewer sneak up on you. Three Amigos Plumbing. From a new toilet to a new water heater, they're the folks to call. Veteran-owned, local company. You can't do better than Three Amigos. 719 719- Five nine seven six seven six three five nine seven six seven six three. Need help with your next home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. I was uh, kind of making fun of my watering my lawn a couple of days ago. Then it snows. But it's a good reminder because I realize I'm always scolding you about doing it. But it's 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 a good you know winters are not you know not as snowy as they were when I first got here back in the 70s. It snowed a lot more than it is now. So winter watering, and I I preach this a lot, is a big deal around here. If we're having a, a dry winter, this precipitation we're getting now is 
really welcome, but <clears throat> we don't get as much as we used to. So if your lawn dries out, you really need to winter water once in a while. That's why I don't believe in blowing out sprinkler systems. Uh, not only your lawn, but of course flower gardens that have bulbs down, uh, you know, down uh, under the soil, rose bushes, young trees. All those need a drink of water from time to time if it's a really dry winter. So we've talked about that many times before. Our phone number. 719-473-1240. I'd love to hear from you, as we say over and over again. No stupid questions on Around the House. We're glad to accommodate anything that is on your mind, and uh, I share it with us in the audience, and I always learn something from callers. So if you want to check in with us, 719-473-1240. What's going on around that special place that you call home? Anyway... What do we got here? Marge says our home's about nine years old. We notice our front door closes and locks, but doesn't seal well. We see lots of daylight. Yeah, uh, this is, you know, not an uncommon problem. You probably need to move. The first thing I would talk about is the striker. That's the small plate with a hole in it on the door jam on the fixed part of the door where the the latch from the, the doorknob actually and the deadbolt go into. And if you have a fixed type, that's the most common, you probably need to move it a little bit towards the inside of the house because we want to squeeze that that weather stripping, which seals that, you know, the, the, the edges of the door so you won't see daylight and won't have snow, cold air, dust, and, and uh, you know, moisture coming in. Uh, the way the to test this is when you see the daylight have some you know have a partner gently tug on the doorknob really slowly in towards the room and if you see the daylight kind of disappear that's a great indicator that you need to move that striker now sometimes uh builders will include a, a adjustable striker this is a little it's it's the same it looks the same, but the interior part of it has a little slide, little notches that slide back and forth. That one's easy to adjust. You just loosen the screws and just tap it in ever so gently, maybe an eighth of an inch at a time, and tighten those screws up. And th- there's your new door fit with a tighter striker against that weather stripping. So, if, But if you don't have an adjustable type, you can go buy one, or you can simply remove the striker and take a, a ch- wood chisel. It's a little, it's a little tedious, I must admit, and kind of chip out very, very um, delicately some more uh, of the door jam, so you can shove that striker farther back into the room. You're just going to have to get the hang of it. And by the way, if you buy a doorknob in a box, the screws that hold that striker in usually are only about three quarters of an inch to an inch long. They're very inadequate. You want to get nice big fat long screws to go into that door jam through the striker and deep into the two by fours that hold the door up right um like two and a half three inch drywall screws or deck screws so if your striker uh um, marge is held on by those little dinky screws that came with it just throw those away and get some substantial screws that way the door will be much more uh secure but an adjustable striker is the way to go on that. Um, so that's that's kind of the story. You want to make sure you can test it 
with a door. And what happens here is modern uh, doors like steel, especially, but to some extent fiberglass. We don't use a lot of wood entry doors anymore. We use fiberglass or steel. Fiberglass is more and more common because it's so easy to maintain. But if you have a, a door that faces south or southwest, you get that daytime hot and then nighttime cold and it's, you know, shrink and swell and, and so on. That's why this happens. So sometimes you got to split the difference. You don't want to adjust the door so uh, so tight into the opening that you can't open it by, by turning the knob. So you got to kind of split the difference here. It does help to get a storm door because you'll have less of that effect if you have a storm door over the uh, over the main door. Yeah, storm doors are. Go ahead. No, I just uh, we have a similar problem there too, where <clears throat> sometimes where the door won't shut totally during the winter time, you have to really press it in to make sure uh, you get the uh, the click yep. uh, to yep. stay in there. And also, when it gets too cold, the the um, uh, the spring on the storm door collapses, and just all of a sudden, it's a big thud. Yes, <laughs> just yep. trying to uh, you know trying to um, get everything to uh, get try and get everything to shut properly is a challenge at times. It's good. To, it's good to have the opposite problem though, in that it. If it's a, it takes a little force to shut it, you know you're getting a good seal around there and, and keep the cold air out and the dust and so on. Yeah, so that's better than what we were talking. Marge is talking about here is too loose, where the door goes in and out when you grab the knob. So yeah, it's it is kind of a happy medium. This time of year, of course, it's just the temperature. It's like your tires in your car. Certain times of the year, um, they are uh, overinflated and sometimes underinflated. It's always temperature temperature relationship but the storm doors do you have a storm door on your house it sounds like chris as well it really helps you get that little airlock effect in there and that really helps save uh save energy no doubt even with a most of the modern steel front doors that most builders use these days have a, a injectable have a styrofoam core if you on a cold day if you touch the outside and the inside you'll see a big temperature difference because of that styrofoam and that's good but one other layer of air, like a, like like an air pocket that's formed when the storm door closes, that's a good deal. And then you can, you know, in the, in the springtime, uh, either slide the glass up like I do in mine and expose to the screen, or you can take the glass out and so on. So it's good to have that little extra security and extra energy savings with a storm door for sure. 4731240 is a the phone number here on around the house we'd love to hear from you merry christmas from i say all of us it's just you and me <laughs> to all of our audience out there the immediate family exactly the, the our media family on around the house yeah happy hanukkah i'm not sure when is look up when hanukkah is, is this year chris it started on thursday oh it did we're right in the middle of it yes thank you boy you're up to date and i thought i was up to date all I started see is, on the seventh. All I see is Chris's tail lights. That's that's cool. Start on the seventh. Thank you. And that's eight days, right? So very good. Happy Hanukkah to everybody out there that celebrates Hanukkah. Really quick here, here's an unsigned email. I uh, I just can't make heads or tails of it, but nevertheless, we have an area of black mold under our basement carpet. This emailer says someone said we should replace all the carpet down there. What do you think? Um. 
I would just treat that one spot. Chances are you can get a carpet layer. Uh, maybe you had some water come in a window, some kind of a leak idea. Once the water source goes away, then the mold uh, will kind of disappear. Um, roll back the carpet, cut out the pad because the pad will be moldy anyway, and um, scrub the concrete with some Clorox and water to kind of kill whatever mold is left there. Um, if the if the carpet is stained on the back, but not but the stain isn't coming through, then what I would try to treat it myself. You can use some hydrogen peroxide and water or Clorox and water. Don't saturate the carpet, but to spray the backing. Uh, and scrub it with a brush uh, and then rinse it with some water and the mold stain will fade away But what, and then make sure it totally dries before you put it back. But the point with mold is if it's not part, if you can't see it, it's not part of the indoor air environment. So if you treat the back to, uh, with a disinfectant like Clorox or hydrogen peroxide, then you've killed whatever mold spores are there. And you flop the carpet, replace the pad for sure, treat the concrete with, again, more Clorox and water and some some primer like, or sealer-like kills. And flop the carpet back. If, if there's no mold on the surface, then it's not part of the indoor air environment. If the mold has come through the carpet into the fibers, then you probably should replace that carpet. But it just stained the back a little bit because you had a, a, a wet spot there. I would try to take care of that myself. The secret with mold is you <clears throat> you kill it, clean it, and then seal it. That's kind of the one, two, three step uh, with mold. So that shouldn't be a big a big issue. It's just an isolated little spot in your basement. 719-473-1240 and live email at aroundthehouse.com. We'll be right back here on the Around the House program. Stick around. Take a look at your windows. If you have those ugly old wood windows that we were so proud of back in the 80s are falling apart now, the weather strips are gone and uh, they're all cracked and, and, and the wood is uh, rotting and, and it's, it, they just look like they're a mess. Well, they are a mess and they're costing you a lot of uh, energy dollars. I want you to call Dutch's Home Improvement to get some new energy efficient vinyl windows on your house. Dutch's is your go-to home improvement contractor in the Springs. Of course, fully licensed and insured. They've been around over 30 years and they carry the best brands of vinyl replacement windows to save energy summer and winter, especially in the winter now with natural gas prices on the rise. I want you to call them at 392-1369. 719-392-1369. They carry the best windows in town, the best installers. are very proud of their installers. And they do siding also and patio covers. Dutch's one stop for new windows, 719-392-1369. Well, I'm kind of remind you here to get your furnace service to check uh, at the beginning of each heating season. If you haven't done it yet, please call Click Heating and Air. And that's 719-782-5425. They're offering a around-the-house special price, $79 for complete furnace checkout and cleaning to keep your family safe. And if you have an older furnace, say 15 years or older, they've got some deals, but they're only for a limited time, up to $2,500 off on a new furnace and AC combo or a free humidifier with a new furnace installation. You can't beat that for, say, a new ream or train furnace. Only for a limited time, so call, click 719-782-5425. And Click has now opened a division called Click Electrical. So if you have an old Federal Pacific panel, need an EV charger, whatever 
issues you have in your electric system, you can also call Click and their experts to come out and take care of you. 719-782-5425 for Click Heating and Air or clickheatingandair.com. Break around the house. That's why there's the Around the House program with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Thank you, Laura. Well, welcome back to the program. It is 23 minutes before the hour. We're glad you're with us here on the Around the House program. Don't forget the podcast uh, of the show will be available a couple hours after we go off the air. But there, there's a whole bunch of them going back almost 18 months now uh, at krdo.com site or you, it'll, you can go there through my site, aroundthehouse.com, and listen to podcasts, and the, they're, they're a segment by segment for you to download or listen to, whatever you'd like. So uh, there you go. Podcast is, um, and, and you're responding uh, amazingly to the podcast of the show, and I really appreciate that. We, we lead the pack at the station here. I'm kind of proud of that. I don't want to jinx myself, right, Chris? But we do pretty well on podcasting. So if you want to do that, just go to aroundthehouse.com and uh, and click on Listen to Podcast. Uh, L, uh, initial LT says, uh, I have window well issues. I understand. Um, they're corroding badly and also have uh, kind of tipping away. Uh, what do I have? Do I have to take them out and reinstall them? Um, there's a lot of options here. Uh, you, you can buy a sleeve. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know why this would pop up on Facebook. Gosh knows how Facebook knows what you're interested in, but I must have clicked on window wells sometime. But they now sell kind of a, uh, it's a poly, I think it's kind of a polycarbonate sleeve or like a fiberglass kind of idea, but it's not fiberglass that slips inside of your window well to just cover up all the rust and corrosion you have now. And uh, they're pretty slick. Uh, I don't think you have to reinstall a new window well. If the corrosion hasn't broken through the window well surface itself, in other words, if there's no holes um, through the window well, you can scrub those uh, and uh, with a, a you know kind of a wire brush and get all the rust off you can, and then use a, a rust combining metal uh, paint. It's a primer. Uh, that you you can find at the paint stores or you know online at the home centers that actually chemically combines with the rust and slows it down and may, may stop it altogether. But just paint those and prime them first, and then paint them to slow down that uh, that corrosion. But I'd like to know where the the corrosion is coming from. Is there a lot of moisture that gets near your window wells? Because many times. The soil is sloped the wrong way, so it rains or snows, the snow melts, and it runs right in behind the window well. You want to slope that soil away as best you can to keep the water away from the window well in the first place. And you say they're tipped away from the house. Well, you know, that, again, in an older home, that's kind of common. Uh, You can take some of that expanding foam and fill that gaps up with foam and and then cover that with caulking because you don't want to leave the foam you can't leave that foam exposed uh, to sunlight because it'll just uh, deteriorate very, uh, very quickly. Um, one of my listeners suggested several years ago um, there's a polyurethane and rubber liquid bed liner for pickup trucks um, that he said might work uh, for the gaps where a window well meets the house. So you can, might check that out at 
O'Reilly's or someplace like that. But I like the expanding foam. It's easy to use uh, and, uh, and and just no fuss, no muss. Uh, and, and then, as I say, cover it so it's not exposed to daylight. So you can kind of limp along with, with aging window wells unless they're collapsing and totally broken through. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, could foundation issues cause some of these problems as well? Not so much. Mostly drainage. Mostly drainage from around the window well. And uh, what happens is the dirt uh, gets too close to the edges. Uh, so many times we'll start with the dirt a couple inches below the window well, but then as the sod grows and you know, the wind, uh, dust blows in and so on, the landscaping gets taller, and so there's some water issues that get in and around the window wells. By the way, that's a good reminder. We don't like we don't like grass growing right up to the house or right up to the window wells. It's 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 not healthy because that implies water because you got to water the grass. It's good to have dryscape around a <clears throat> around a window well. So um, anyway, so look for one of those sleeves that, that if you have a standard size window well, I'm sure you do. Slip a sleeve inside of it. They even come with decorative like scenes of tropical scenes and trees and things or just kind of a generic wallpaper kind of look but those uh, might be just what you need to put a sleeve inside of a window well that's causing trouble yeah now this is gets a little complicated but sometimes it's an electrical issue Uh, there's a grounding issue where uh, electrical current is actually trickling through the window well to find a way to reach a good earth ground because it's looking for moisture, and uh, sometimes if your electrical meter is close to the window well, you can get current leaking through that well into the ground, and that can really corrode. That's pretty rare, though. If 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 it's a corrosion issue that seems to have no other cause, sometimes that's the cause. But it's as I say, difficult to diagnose. So anyway, um, there there you go. Seven one nine four seven three. 1240 is the number. Ray says, I want to paint the concrete walls in my basement. Do I need to worry about using waterproof uh, paint? Yeah, I probably wouldn't. Waterproof paint like uh, elastomeric paint, masonry paint. It's kind of expensive. Uh, if, if there's no visible signs of moisture, if you don't have any streaking down the side of the basement walls, if there's no uh, staining or anything, I would probably just use regular latex paint um we're like we were just talking about if if there's no uh issues with moisture usually the same moisture that affects a window well uh can affect the basement walls if you if there's signs of moisture on your basement walls it's because the drainage is not well done around the house um the downspouts in the wrong place um sprinkler system acting up in the summertime all that uh, but if the walls are nice and dry, you can use regular latex paint if you would like and just paint those walls. Now, remember, um, b- because of the way light bounces around, uh, if you paint, let's say you use a, a light paint, uh, uh, you probably want to use a, a white or off-white. As the light bounces around, it's going to emphasize the imperfections in the concrete. So little pits and cracks and depressions and and textures in the concrete that may not be all that visible right now the way the light will be grabbed uh, reflecting off that paint 
uh, you're going to notice more of those imperfections. It's like people say, can I paint old paneling? Well, you can. Problem is it'll look like old painted paneling because uh, the paint will will show you all of the little imperfections in the paneling. Same thing in the basement walls. So I think hopefully I think you probably want to paint your basement to brighten it up down there. And I don't blame you. The gray concrete walls can be a little boring. So, you know, just go ahead and paint. But you're going to have to, you have to get used to the way the, the, the wall looks with paint on it because it will show every little imperfection. But if there's no moisture, I would just use regular interior latex acrylic paint, um, and it'll work just fine. But it's going to take two or three coats because concrete's so absorbent. That first coat, it'll just get sucked right into the concrete. You'll have to do it once or even two more times after the first coat. 719-473-1240. We'll be back with uh, more of this great email from this week. And phone calls right after this, right here on Around the House. Wayne Dalton Garage Door Sales and Service. Those are the folks I want to do a quick commercial here for. These I visited their showroom, and if you think garage doors have to look boring, guess again, they have some wonderful wood-textured, wood-grained garage doors down there and these really neat, even some contemporary styles. So if your garage door is boring, and most garage doors are, drop by their sales uh, outlet, their little storefront there at 1847 South Murray Boulevard, right off of Fountain, and see how interesting a garage door you can get for your house. Now, a garage door, the street scene of your house is really a big part of it is the garage door. So get a new wood-textured garage door from Wayne Dalton Sales and Service. And right now they have a sale going on, 150 off a double, 75 off a single, if you mention around the house. So garage doors don't have to look boring with Wayne Dalton Sales and Service. I want you to give them a call, 719-382-9227, or the showroom, 1847 South Murray for Wayne Dalton Sales and Service. Fix-It videos can be so confusing. Let Ken Moon walk you through it on Around the House. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. It's 10 minutes before the hour. I've got a little side uh, bar, a little side, I won't call it a rabbit hole, but we'll just move off to the side here. As you know, we've talked about EVs, vis-a-vis EV chargers, that the electric grid <clears throat> right now c- couldn't stand every house to have an EV uh, charger. Um, and, uh, and I'm not a big fan of electric vehicles because it's basically a natural gas-powered car or coal-powered car. Some people uh, uh, talk about them. And they're not really all that popular. Now, the government really is drooling to get us all into EVs, and I can't figure out for the life of me why they're... In terms of what it takes to make the batteries, they're not less polluting overall, and they're very expensive. Well, here's a piece from the Wall Street Journal. 3,900 car dealers across the country wrote to the president, electric vehicles are piling up on their lots unsold. They want relief from the unrealistic EV sales mandate, which uh, is required. Like in California, I think they want... Uh, all EV sales only, no ba- no gasoline engines, like maybe by, two, is it 2030, something like that, um, not too far away. Um, dealers have a 103-day supply of EVs compared to 56 days for all cars. It takes an average of 65 days to sell an electric vehicle, twice as long as for a gas-powered car. EV sales are 
slowing through though manufacturers have slashed prices and increased discounts consumers paid an average of 50,683 for an EV in September compared to 65,000 a year ago so the costs are coming down but Ford uh, about the time this article came out said they're losing like over $40,000 on each EV they sell um, <clears throat> the reason as the dealers explain is that early adopters formed an initial line and were ready to buy as soon as we had them to sell. But most consumers aren't ready to make the change, in part because EVs are still too expensive. Many apartment renters don't have garages for charging, and public charging networks are spotty with one in four not functional anyway. Customers are also concerned about the loss of driving range, in cold or hot weather, yeah, the heaters in an electric vehicle really drain the battery quickly, as anything that's, you know, anything electrical that produces heat does. Some have long daily commutes, don't have the extra time to charge the batteries. Truck buyers are especially put off by the dramatic loss of range when towing. Makes a lot of sense. The, the dealers want to tap the brakes on the proposed tailpipe emission standards that would effectively mandate that EVs comprise two-thirds of car sales in just nine years. Oh, my gosh. Automakers might meet the government's quotas in in cities where Teslas are a political fashion statement, but price and convenience matter more elsewhere. elsewhere. A new study from the University of California, Berkeley's Energy Institute, finds a strong and enduring correlation between political ideology and EV adoption, about half of, this is interesting, half of EVs registered as of last year were to the 10% most Democratic counties and about one-third to the top 5%. This suggests it may be harder than previously believed to reach high levels of EV adoption. In other words, people outside big uh, progressive cities just don't want them. Americans don't like to be told what to do or what they must buy. As the dealers put it, many people just want to make their own choice about what a vehicle is right for them. Imagine that, says the Wall Street Journal. You know, if you had a, if you had a, a family, two or three kids, and wanted to take a, a, a trip uh, across country or maybe to a national park or something, uh, how it would seem it would be very an insecure uh, journey. Can we find charging stations? Do we have to carry a generator with us? Who needs that when you can get a 400 miles worth of fuel in four or five minutes at a gas station? So uh, it's EVs, all the surveys I've read is that upper middle class, mostly white families are buying EVs as a, as a second or third car to run around town with. And that's, I guess that's okay. But for long distance traveling or commuting, they're kind of a joke, and I think people are kind of onto it now because you're seeing more and more negative, uh, a negative uh, feedback uh, in the press that you don't ordinarily see about EVs. Chris looked up that California mandates 2035 no more gas-powered cars. Truckers, uh, they're talking about in California also uh, semi-truck, long-distance trucks being electric, and the truckers. The idea doesn't make any sense because the batteries are so heavy they can carry less cargo. Plus, they like to drive at night when there's less traffic, but you got to charge them at night. So it's it's a it's like the people that are pushing in the government for 
electric vehicles never do a then what analysis. They just think it's a great idea and we all should go along. But I, I don't see the I don't see the big uh, desire out there for EVs. Now you get a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit right off your tax bill uh, when you buy an electric uh, vehicle. But to me, that's a, that's sort of a moral issue. Why should I help pay? Because you want to buy an EV. If you want to go buy one, go buy one. But if the government's got to pay you to buy one, I kind of wonder, is is it is there a big demand for that or are people going for the rebates? Um, there's another little piece here from Consumer Reports. Um, electric vehicle owners continue to report far more problems than conventional cars or hybrids. Survey reveals that on average, EVs from the past three model years has 79% more problems than conventional cars based on owner responses more than 330,000 vehicles the survey covers uh, engine transmission electric motors leaks and infotainment system no wonder evs are piling up on dealer lots so yeah um it, it i don't think this has been well thought through in my opinion you know ev uh, electric vehicles that's a that's a hundred and 120-year-old technology. There were electric vehicles around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, they didn't last very long, of course, but there were a few, some some battery-powered cars back in the uh, good good old days at the turn of the previous century. Now, hybrids, that's a whole different thing. We have combination gas and electric. <clears throat> I'm a, I like the idea of hybrids uh, where they charge themselves, you know, kind of idea. You get really long range and great gas mileage. The problem is they're kind of expensive. But, of course, as with LED light bulbs and everything else, it, it, they'll get less expensive uh, as as time goes on. And if I were the government bureaucrats, I'd probably want to be promoting hybrids and not pure EVs, which, uh, especially out here in the West, we have long commute times and a lot of hills, and cold temperatures, EVs don't make a lot of sense. Anyway. Especially with those 8% grades in the mountains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially running the heater in the wintertime, that significantly reduces your range. And when you take off in the morning, you don't know how cold it's going to be. Maybe you'll use your heater a lot. Maybe you won't use it all that much, but, you know, you, you don't know. Anyway, that's the first hour. We have hour number two of Around the House Special guest Kathy Hook from the Colorado Springs Fire Department will be talking fire safety, especially important here around the holidays. And we'll do that right after the news. So stick around. Uh, we'd love it if you'd check out the, the podcast, aroundthehouse.com, and also live email we have at aroundthehouse.com, same website. And we'll see you right after the news, right here on Around the House. 719-473-1240. We'll be right back. Six minutes after the hour. Stick around. It's six minutes after the hour. Hour number two of Around the House. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for sharing your weekend with us here on the program we have a special guest with us kathy hook from the colorado springs fire department is with us kathy good afternoon hi good afternoon ken nice to nice to hear your voice again it was chris looked it up it was july last time you were with us and we you know we we, we thought of you 
Actually, it was Chris's idea more than mine. Maybe at this time of year is a good time to remind people about fire safety because we did a segment on the holidays kind of straining the systems in our house. You have people come, the plumbing and sewer system and electrical and fireplaces and ovens and everything gets used a lot more this time of year. Of course, we have short days and long nights, more uh, lighting around and so on. So we thought it would be just really up your alley to talk about this kind of thing. I know fire safety is is uh, kind of your uh, your fort, and, and, and we're glad you're with us. Thanks. By the way, I need to tell you, I was telling Chris, it's nice of her to share one of her days off with us, especially around the holidays. So thank you for being here today. Well, you're welcome. And I do like coming on this time of year. Um, we did in July talk about, you know, the increased um, outdoor risk with people uh, misusing fireworks, using fireworks that they should not do that. But around the holidays is really when we see some unique hazards that spike um, statistically. Um, in the kitchen, not, not doesn't take too much um, common sense to figure out why this is, but the number one day for kitchen fires is Thanksgiving Day. That That's sure. kind of obvious. Sure. But the Second and third most common home fire days are Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. And to your point that people are stressed and we are maybe doing things that we don't normally do with menorahs or candles or having people sleep in parts of our house that they don't normally sleep and fireplaces, there's just a lot of extraneous factors that can really increase that risk around the home. I got to tell you an, an anecdote, and I, I may have, sh- I don't know if I shared this with you when you were with us. Uh, last time but my grandmother uh, rest in peace was born in 1899 she was a big part of my life and she would tell us stories Uh, we were fascinated with this they had actual candles on their christmas tree kathy uh and uh, isn't that crazy it's crazy to think about (laughs) and when they went to the christmas eve service somebody uh like usually a teenager had to stay home with a bucket of sand well, everybody, every, isn't this amazing? Everybody else went to church on Christmas Eve, but the the candles were lit uh, as part of the celebration. But somebody had to stay home in case one of the candles got out of control. That's an amazing story, and that's you know a story that I heard in my lifetime. And when I was a kid, and I know you have a comment about this, we had 120 volt you know colored Christmas bulbs on the trees, but they were extremely hot. And if you had a natural oh. tree, there's a big fire risk there. So, Sure, we're, we're not putting candles on trees. Well, at least I hope you're not putting candles on trees. But <laughs> know, you're right. Yeah. Those old, old bulbs, oh, my gosh, they were just wicked, wicked hot. Hopefully, um, most of us, you know, no one is asking everybody to go out and replace everything all at once. That's yeah. not very cost effective. But as things fray, as things wear out, as things get ugly, you know, for decorating, replacing those lights, replacing those decorations with the LED bulbs that actually burn so much cooler, um, just so, so much safer than it and, used and, to be. And, but, cheap, and cheaper, too. Um, yeah. We, we went yes. from those big fat bulbs I was just talking about, the colored ones that were very, very hot. Thankfully, we, there's a in between, we had all the little string lights and they don't burn very hot because each one, the wattage is very, very low. But now we have LED versions of those same little string lights, right, that uh, are uh, uh, pretty much everywhere and um, very little fire risk. Of course, do you have any idea, Kathy? Uh, I was asking somebody about this the other day. Uh, in terms of Christmas trees, what percent now are artificial versus natural trees? Do you have a feel for that? 
I don't. I don't know that statistic. That's really interesting. I think it kind of ebbs and flows too, depending on you know the how easy it is to get a tree or where maybe you live. Yeah. Um, it, it goes without saying that the artificial trees um, are safer than trees that you keep around for a month that uh, you're more. Um, if you do cut your tree or if you buy your tree, you want to make sure that you cut off that two inches on the base and that you water it every day. Um, but regardless, um, you don't want to have anything that is going to be um, you know, combustible um, around any type of candle, any type of decoration that is, um, you know, that's the, that you're using heat with. Um, the three feet range is really what we say um, yeah. around candles, D- just trying to keep that area really safe. But that's an interesting t- statistic. We should look at that maybe not you know, around the United States, it might be different, but, but here in Colorado where it's harder to go cut your tree, um, just with the snow and the, you know, different weather patterns that we have. Anecdotally, and this is just totally my impression. I drive around town a lot. I don't see as many Christmas tree lots as I used to. You agree, Chris? There used to be everywhere. Right. Don't see as many now. Kathy, is that your impression also? Yes, and the other day I was outside Home Depot, and they did have some some trees. Oh, my goodness, those are expensive. They're as much as an artificial tree, so they may be just cost prohibitive. <laughs> what, what are these, well. 50, 60 yeah. bucks now or even more? Over 100 for the big boys, so that's expensive for something you're going to throw away in a month. You oh, know? my, yeah. And you don't hear, there used to be a big campaign. It was kind of a fun thing uh, with the kids um if you didn't get eaten by a bear uh to go up in the mountains you know the national forest will open up uh several uh you know specific days and or weeks or whatever it was to go cut your own tree you don't hear about that as much anymore do you so we're kind of making our yeah, own case for art- artificial trees aren't we <laughs> Well, the Pikes Peak region, uh, you can get a permit, and it is a lot of fun. I used to do that. But, you know, they're usually bare on one side. They they look a lot better in, in movies. Um, yeah, yeah and, exactly. And it's like in Christmas vacation, you know, if you want that really big one, it's you're going to be Clark Griswold hauling that thing down the mountain. You can still do it, and it is a lot of fun. But um, they're never quite the same as, as, you know, to hang things on as maybe if you purchase Well, I, th- I think you're right. They look a little better in the forest than when they, you put them up in your li- living room. Which side, you know, you turn it and, and that side's not as good as the other side in the corner. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. Um, artificial trees now, we're kind of going off on a tangent here a little bit. But they're, they're, uh, good ones are about 100 bucks, aren't they, Kathy? Something like that. Yeah, of course, it depends on if they're pre-lit and the height of them. Um, But regardless, if we're talking your tree or if we're talking the lights that you use, one thing, just a reminder to everybody, um, there there are cords, there are lights that are specifically for outdoor, and then there's um, cords and lights and decorations that are for indoor. So be careful with that tag. Often it'll be for both, but pay attention to that because sometimes it is just for one or the other sure i'm amazed at uh and i I've, i must admit i haven't seen it lately but i used to see people that would put evergreen boughs on the mantle of the fireplace mm-hmm. would make you cringe uh, because of the drying effect and near a fire and all that and um i think people are probably a little more aware of fire safety thanks to people like you but chris said that one of your big campaigns i don't think we talked about this last time one one of the things that you're you're really adamant about are led candles and talk about those a little bit i think that's a a, a big part of uh one one of your really big uh preferences isn't it 
Yeah, the the percentage of candle fires in homes just takes a huge jump in December uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and as you mentioned, sometimes we'll put those candles on the on the mantel. Um, we're decorating. It's a lot of fun to have everybody over, and then everybody's stressing us out, and we get sick of them, and they don't go home, and we forget to blow them out. <laughs> so really kind of year-round, we really encourage people to use those electric candles. They, they come with scents. You can use a remote on them. They flicker. They are beautiful. So right now, when we're all looking for what the heck do I get my daughter-in-law, what the heck do I buy this person for Christmas, um, so, you, you know what? Diamonds say love, but so do smoke alarms and CO alarms and flameless candles. That's really oh. a great gift that truly says I love you. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know they came with scents. That's, that's a new one for me. Uh, I just yeah, buy the little hobby. Great. I buy the little Hobby Lobby ones that just, but they're very pretty the way they flicker. But I did. They they come with like as a little reservoir you dump stuff something into or how, what? What's the deal? Yeah, they they have just you know like the little things that you um, have for your home scent. They you can get them in evergreen. You can get them in cranberry. They smell great. Huh. Um, you don't even have to get off the couch to turn them off. You can just use a little remote to turn them off. So oh we man. <laughs> when my, I tell my kids I used to have to walk uphill through shag carpet to change the channel on the TV, and now <laughs> they ne- they never have to get out of their chairs to do anything, right? So that's right. You can just sit in your chair and blow out the candles. That's yeah, yeah exactly. Well, we need to take a quick break here. This is interesting. Um, we've got some other issues to cover. I want to talk about smoke detectors, maybe fire extinguishers. We can do that. In our next segment, Kathy, if you'll stick around, I appreciate it. Kathy Hook, Colorado Springs Fire Department, is with us. If you have a question for her or comment, you can give us a call, 719-473-1240, right here on Around the House, and we'll be right back. Stick around. Hey, how the windows, what's the situation at your house? Do you have ugly old wood, steel, or... Uh, Lord forbid, aluminum windows on your house. There's such big energy uh, wasters. I want you to call Dutch's Home Improvement, 719-392-1369, and get some energy-efficient vinyl windows on your house. They have the best installers in town, many brands to choose from, price ranges, and so on. And windows really are the – if you want to start saving energy, which means saving money, the place to start – are your windows so call dutch's home improvement again 719-392-1369 they've been around over 30 years they carry windows and siding man new windows and siding will make your house look a lot younger than its actual age if you decided to stay put because of interest rate issues give dutch's a call get some new energy efficient windows you'll save money winter and summer dutch's home improvement 719-392-1369 Got a fix-it problem at your house? Ken Moon is here to help. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back. It's 21 minutes after the hour on the Around the House program. We're talking to Kathy Hook from the Colorado Springs Fire Department about fire safety. Really a, a great topic this time of year when we're spending a lot of time at home with relatives and company. We have long uh, nights and short days and and there's a lot of lighting around and fireplace use and uh and uh so on Kathy, we should talk about smoke detectors uh, i've had people say well how, how do i know my smoke detector's too old or not my first ind- indicator is is it white or is it yellow right they start off white 
they turn yellow it's way too late do we still have that 10-year rule do we on smoke detectors we do and on the back of all smoke detectors there is a manufacture date so if you look on the back of it, it'll say when it was made if it's greater than 10 years it's it's going to be considered expired do smoke alarms go off when they are greater than 10 years? Um, yeah, actually, there are fires that, um, you know, we run on where the smoke alarm is much older than that. But they are only guaranteed for 10 years. And, and one note, Ken, if there is no date on the back of the smoke alarm, it is definitely greater than a decade because they've been doing that for more than 10 years. So yeah, if there's I, no manufacturer date, it's yeah. more than 10. Do you, and you like, do you like my rule of thumb if it's yellow? Because it started out white, <laughs> for sure. They were talking twenty-five years or more. Or more. Yeah. So I see. I swear. I, I do some home inspecting, as you know, and uh, I see smoke detectors that I know darn well were popular in the seventies, and I still see them now. They do buzz when you push the button, but I tell people get that, get that thing out of here. And the other thing I see, Kathy, I don't know if you have a comment about this or not, because I think it's part of the code. I'm amazed at how many times people, <clears throat> I'll see a house that has the wired smoke detectors that are hooked up to the, you know, they're in a big circle, an electrical system, they all go off at once. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll pull one out and just put a battery one in its place. And um, that, of course, is a big no-no, isn't it? Yeah, you know, interconnected smoke alarms are um, obviously preferable. So if you have a a fire in the basement, it's going to ring throughout the house. But really, the the message we stress is that a working smoke alarm is really what you want on all levels of the home, inside and outside of the sleeping areas. We say inside and outside because, as you're aware, we actually, um, from a fire safety perspective, like people to sleep with their doors closed. So having uh, an alarm inside and outside. And, of course, smoke alarms are so easy to install. And, I, I, you know, we're really stressing this, that a lot of times people will get the, the smoke alarm in and they get it put up and it's good for a year or so, and then they don't change those 9-volt batteries. So um, yeah, yeah. almost at the same cost are the, um, the sealed um, 10-year smoke alarms where there is no battery to change. The alarm itself is good for 10 years. We're really stressing those because there's, with the exception of, as you mentioned, testing it every month, there's um, there's no battery to change. Now, is that are those Kathy? They have an internal, like a lithium ten year battery inside. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that. That is exactly right. And to your point about the interconnected, if you do have an interconnected, just a reminder, um, there is still a battery in those in case the electrical burns out. So you know, people think, okay, well, I'm good. It's electrical, but there is a backup battery in those as well. Yeah, there uh, smoke detectors became kind of popular in the mid-70s. I remember I was building houses back in those days. And in the first couple of years after they became popular, uh, they there were stories of, you know, it, we had a smoke detector wrapped under the Christmas tree, wrapped up in a, in, a, in a package with a bow on it, and all of a sudden it starts going off because there's a fire. There were all those kind of stories around. And, and the, the bottom, I mean, the, where I'm going with this is there's, and I'm not telling you anything, but I know they've saved literally thousands of lives and it's such a wonderful technology that back before the 70s we were just you just were on your own weren't you when it came to fire i I mean you're not wrong about that when when there are are fire fatalities fire injuries uh so often it's because there was no working smoke alarm or that it was disabled it really does save lives um get those smoke alarms up they're so inexpensive It's, it's such a great gift 
And then, of course, the, the CO alarms, we stress those as well. Those only have a seven-year outdate, but a lot of times they're combination smoke-CO. Um, get them up high because smoke always rises, but um, they, they just make such a difference on the outcome if you do have a fire in your home. A couple of things uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, fire extinguishers. Uh, I have one, and you're probably going to, uh, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, I have one hanging uh, on, out of sight on a kitchen cabinet in the kitchen, and I have one in my garage. Um, uh, talk about fire extinguishers a little bit, what types we should look for, what we can expect to spend, where they should go. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, actually, I like where your your uh, your fire extinguishers are. Number one cause of fire um, in Colorado Springs and really around the country is is cooking. We are a nation of bad cooks, so having a fire <laughs> extinguisher in the kitchen is a great place. Um, garage, especially if you do you know some woodworking or um, you know do something in your garage, another great place. There are limitations with those, and we we just have to remind people that. Just because you have a fire extinguisher, it does not make you a firefighter. So you always have to take into consideration how big is the fire, what is around that might be, you know, externally combustible, what's your exit plan. But that all said, having a fire extinguisher home can keep a small fire from becoming a big fire if you know how to use it. I've talked to people um, on the yeah. air. I, I, excuse me, I interrupted you. I, I've said, no, go ahead. when you got a fire, you call 911, then grab the extinguisher. Is that... Is that yes. kind of what you agree that, with me? That is right. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Um, but that being said, if you feel like you could safely use an extinguisher, of course, we uh, many of us have been trained the PASS acronym, pull the pin, aim, squeeze, and sweep. But that pin is attached with a you know kind of little plastic cabby in there that sometimes people take too much time fumbling around looking for scissors or a knife or a good way to break that little plastic uh, tab on the seal is to give it a good twist and pull it very yes. difficult. It, it, it can be difficult if you have some, you know, maybe arthritis or agility issues in your hands. So limitations for some people. Um, obviously, if it's going to be hard for you to use an extinguisher, we always prefer that you get to safety, get those around you to safety and, um, and, and call call first responders yeah i you know you, you talked about cooking causing fires um i live uh, alone and I'm, uh, that's okay and um if there's a microwave cooking fires uh i've got my extinguisher right there because most of my cooking is in the microwave but you know i do know that you know broiling steaks or you know french fries and hot oil all of those are hazards which is not the case at my house, but uh, the kitchen is still the number one place to put a distinguisher. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and as you you know uh, mentioned, there's different types of extinguishers. We don't have to get in the lost of the de- you know the details of all that. Most extinguishers that you're going to have in your home are just going to be that ABC, that dry chemical that's going to yeah. suffocate the fire. Um, does it make a mess when you discharge them? Heck yeah, it does. They're they're very messy, but um, they do work. Um, they're for very small fires. They're not for putting out a giant forest fire. Yeah. And um, but but they are really good to have around the home. There there are different types, but just having maybe a ten pound ABC extinguisher, um, and if you know how to use it, um, they're they're a great great thing to have. Extinguishers um, they're not good forever. You know when you go into businesses, they're tagged. Um, a, a kind of a general rule of thumb if it if it has a metal handle and a dial it can be recharged 
to be honest, it's if you just have one, it's it can be expensive just to charge one fire extinguisher. So it might not be as environmentally friendly, but um, probably better just to get a new extinguisher um, than to just recharge, you know, one periodically. Um, but don't throw them in the trash because that's compressed air and that needs to be taken to a, you know, like a hazardous. Yeah, we um, have a great hazmat uh, uh, place uh, off of Powers or off of Mark Shuffle here. And most counties have some place to take this material, right, to uh, uh, properly dispose yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's we, be fair to our waste management people that yeah. we're not, you know, putting them at risk with, with things we're throwing in the back of their rigs. Exactly. Did you have something, Chris? Yeah, Kathy, I just remember seeing something recently on TV about a fire blanket that's now being used on sale where you can uh, use it, like, for a small kitchen fire. Um, it, are these type of things actually safe to use? So, Chris, that is a great point because we're really seeing a lot more of those. Um, and I don't know specifically which one you saw or who it was endorsed by. But a very important um, denotation when we're buying, be it a smoke alarm or a fire extinguisher or a fire blanket, you really do want to look for that UL label mm-hmm. or the ETL label, mm-hmm. the underwriter laboratory or the electrical um, testing laboratory. Those are tested to U.S. standards. So you can unequivocally get cheaper, um, any one of these smoke alarms, extinguishers off the Internet, but make sure that it is tested to a standard that is going to, to be not, not just about cost, but it really was tested at standards that was scientific. Do you all, Kathy, have – Chris, that was a great question because I see those uh, on TV all the time. Do you all at, at the department have a preference of blankets versus extinguishers, or do they each have their place uh, in, in this uh, um, fire safety? You know, we, we, we definitely would, would at this point, I think, blankets. I don't want to say that they're new, but that's a little bit of change in some of the technology and that. Um, extinguishers have been around for a little while longer, been tested a little while longer. Um, but, you know, our message always is not putting out that fire, but prevention and yeah. having those smoke alarms and, you know, all the things that we talked about before. We hope we never have to get to the point of using a blanket or an extinguisher. So yeah. kind of being more proactive, I guess, is our main message. Yes, uh, if if you can stick around a, a few more minutes, we have to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. But I'd love to talk about uh, home evacuation routes, about you know kids sleeping in the basement and egress and this and that. That's kind of one of my. Uh, I'm I'm pretty knowledgeable in the building codes, and I know that's a big part of the fire codes and and building codes. And can we talk about that a little bit after the break? I'd like to spend a little time talking about fire safety uh, evacuation. Can we do that? Sure, love to do that. We'll see you after the break. All right. Kathy Hooks, our guest of Colorado Springs Fire Department. If you have a comment or question, 719-473-1240. We'll be right back with Kathy and some more great uh, conversation right after this, right here on Around the House. Stick around. I want to talk to you about Three Amigos Plumbing. It's a plumbing company you can trust. Veteran-owned, local folks here 
It's a fun name, Three Amigos, for a very professional plumbing company. One of the things they're most proud of, no hidden fees. They give you an upfront, honest estimate to begin with. No sticker shock when you get the bill from Three Amigos. They want you as a long-term customer. They carry those great Bradford White Ream water heaters, great prices on new water heaters. And if you live in an older house, you got to get that sewer checked before Christmas gets here. There's barely enough time. They've got a special deal for around-the-house listeners. They'll give you a free fiber optic TV camera look at your sewer line when you have them clean it so no holiday surprises with sewer backups if you call three amigos 719-597-6763 from a leaky faucet new toilet new water heater you can't do better than veteran-owned local three amigos plumbing 719-597-6763 597-6763 hey you get your furnace checked so far uh, this uh, heating season you really need to do that to keep your family safe special deal for around the, around the house listeners, only $79 for a complete furnace checkout and safety check and cleaning. So give them a call, 719-782-5425. And if you have an older furnace at your house, say 15 years or older, it's time to upgrade to, say, a Ream, for instance, uh, my favorite brand. They're offering up to $2,500 off a new furnace and AC combo, but for a limited time only at Click Heating and Air. I'm really impressed with them. They have wonderful reviews online. They won't try to sell you expensive parts you don't need. Click Heating and Air. And now it's uh, they have a division, Click Electric. If you need a electric service, a bigger little job, maybe a new panel, an EV charger, Call Click Electric. Same phone number, 719-782-5425. But ask about the $79 furnace clean when you call Click Heating and Air, 719-782-5425. From your faucet to your furnace and everywhere in between, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. 22 minutes before the hour, talking to Kathy Hook from the Colorado Springs Fire uh, Department. I got an email here uh, a minute ago, Kathy, uh, from a regular listener named Carl. Um, he wanted me to ask you about charging EVs in garages. Do you guys have a position on You see, hear about, you know, occasionally hear about fires charging electric uh, cars. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, uh, the fire code, I realize not all of your listeners are in the Colorado Springs Fire Department jurisdiction, but the fire code that we just adopted in June of 2023 did have some big changes that dealt with um, charging of lithium batteries, charging of electrical vehicles. One of the big changes, not specifically what you're referring to with vehicles, but there have been, if, if you paid attention in the news, a fair amount of um, lithium-ion battery fires from those scooters, the Mm -hmm. e-scooters. And if you think about that, you know, when you're downtown, people are done with them. They dump them in the gutters. They get wet. Those batteries get damaged. And so then they, you know, the servicer of those would take those back, and they um, often would charge those, like, in their apartments or their multifamily housing. And so that you no longer can do that for the exact reason that you're talking about, just the risk. Those are really hot fires, really dangerous fires. So as the um, electric battery, you know, uh, for vehicles, for almost everything we're using, as our world changes with that, fire code is changing with that as well. And so we're always you know, always looking at that, and that's just one example of a code that changed because of what was seen um, in our area. Yeah, is, are there, have there has the code not been updated specifically for 
uh, homeowner charging uh, electric cars and garages? In other words, any, any additional requirements or are those coming one of these days? You know, that will always be evolving. It can't be below or above ground. I, you know, that kind of makes sense because if, if the one of those catches on fire, that's going to be really difficult, you know, for us to yeah. get into. Um, so th- there will be forthcoming changes with that. That's kind of what the fire code is. But, um, yeah, and as more and more, you know, if more and more people get those, as you mentioned at the top of the show, there, there's different issues with that. But clearly we're seeing more more electrical vehicles and and more electrical vehicle fires as well everything i i read once an electric car battery catches fire it's very difficult for you guys to uh say you guys you know the department to control that like you can't just spray water on it i guess am i right kathy you just gotta let it burn is that kind of the often they just let them burn out you know in places that you know the ideal situation would be to submerge the car well look around Colorado springs there's not too many submergible places yeah. um but yeah they're just really hot hot burning oh fires. boy that's 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 terrible well i wanted to talk from uh, anyway so that thank you carl for that for that question i want to talk about evacuation routes now having been in the building business for years up until i don't know the early 80s we had uh people sleeping in the basement with little tiny basement windows now we have these big uh, egress windows and window wells it's much safer to sleep downstairs and get out of the house in an emergency uh, talk a little bit about families especially maybe your kids or grandkids are uh, sleeping in the basement little kids uh, how, how we should address fire safety when it comes to uh, the you know the smoke alarms are going off what do we do next kind of idea can you spend a couple minutes talking about that yeah, I mean, we've already kind of covered this through throughout the session that um, we have more people sleeping in their house and they're sleeping all over our house and we're doing something, you know, maybe we don't normally have a wood-burning fireplace going, but we do now. So, of course, it goes, um, it's common sense that you do need to have those CO alarms and those fire alarms. But that being said, as you noted, basements have some unique risks. Sometimes those windows yeah. will swell. Sometimes people paint those um, frames. You can't get the window open. Um, and sometimes the egress routes, you know, there, there aren't as many of them. So you just really have to have that family discussion that here's where the alarms are, here's where our meeting spot is. And then if you do have kids or adults sleeping in, you know, parts of the house that um, they don't normally sleep in, um, being very extra cognizant of, of fire risk that, you know, that you might unknowingly be taking when you have a lot of people in your house that's where exactly where i was going where do we meet what 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 you know where do we get together uh there's a thing about you know you can't run back in to get the dog all those kinds of uh discussions i think with children and that's where i was headed with this so you're 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 confirming uh we have to kind of in our heads kind of go through what happens if something goes wrong in the house right yeah you know ken um here's a here's a great example uh, Colorado law says that kindergartners through 12th graders have to practice a fire drill once a month. So when we go into schools, those littles all the way up through high school, they know how to do a fire drill because they practiced and they know their yeah. spot, know what the game plan is. Well, then, you know, you graduate from high school and you're just stupid when it comes to fire drills. You don't have them. You don't practice them. <laughs> you don't know where to go. So great time to have a family discussion to say, okay, um, here's our, let's make sure our, our smoke alarm is working. Here's where our primary meeting spot is going to be and then have a secondary spot. Um, the littles all the way up to the older people yeah. can know 
We always take the closest exit, and we're all going to meet here. And thanks for bringing up pets. Pets, um, as you are aware, may be a little bit more intuitive in an emergency. Um, they may hide in places they don't normally hide or go to places that they don't normally go to when they're afraid. So the best way to help your pet is to get to that designated family meeting spot and then let the firefighters know we're here, but, you know, there's still an animal in there. That honestly is the best way yeah. rather than spend time looking for an animal that you you may or may not find. That's wonderful advice. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd, you'd discuss here, where I was going with that. Finally, uh, I wanted to talk. We had a caller called Chris and asked about clarification uh, you were mentioning uh, there's a, uh, most builders are using a combo carbon monoxide and smoke detector, uh, which satisfies the, the code requirements. I'm a big believer, and I'd love your feedback on this, Kathy. I also tell people when I do a home inspection, stick a low carbon monoxide in uh, the hallway down, you know, uh, plug it in uh, at near, nearer floor level where your head is when you're asleep and that kind of thing. Uh, I'd like your reaction to that. I kind of like both. What do you think? Yeah, you know, carbon monoxide is, smoke will always rise. Yeah. Um, heat, flames are going to go up. CO is basically the same density as air. Yep. And as you've noted, when you, you know, if you have CO poison, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go to bed because you feel like you have the flu. So just, it, just having that CO alarm, you know, right there at the level where you are, CO is different than smoke. Um, and I was just saying, put it high if. It is a combination. Right, if it's right. a standalone CO, um, yeah, you can put it. Usually it's just a plug-in right there in the wall outlet in the in the usual spot. I've had firefighters tell me, I do. I use the Nighthawk. They used to be made here in town. I don't think they are anymore. The Kitta Nighthawk detector just plugs into a wall outlet, has a battery backup. And I've had a, I had a firefighter tell me one time, it has a history in, built into the computer of the carbon monoxide levels uh, when and how long and that kind of thing. So th- that's I, I love those and um, thank you for verifying that. So if you have you know do both, how can it hurt, right? Yeah, and uh, you know we're always going to say it is better to have more alarms than having no yeah. arm, no alarms um, or alarms that are not working. So again, just really stressing that um, smoke alarms on every level of your home and in those sleeping areas. Um, and even though you know we see mostly kitchen fires. Uh, you really want the smoke alarm to be about 15 feet outside of the kitchen because they, they'll be a nuisance. You know, we're, oh, yeah. we, we're bad cooks. You burn the toast, they go off, and then you disable it. So then it does no good. So actually not within the kitchen itself, but, but outside of the Sure, kitchen. sure. Kathy, uh, thank you so much for sharing your uh, day off, weekend time with us. We really do appreciate it. You're a great guest to have. Uh, I'm just, I've learned a lot. Chris has also, he's nodding his head. So I hope you'll come back sometime and talk. And I wanted to say to you, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. And thanks again for, uh, for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Thanks for the opportunity. You have a great holiday season. Okay, take care. Kathy Hook, Colorado Springs Fire Department. What a great guest, huh, Chris? You you bet. She's so knowledgeable about this stuff. Anyway, I've learned a lot. I know you have too, and I hope the audience has. In the meantime, we're going to take our last break of the hour. Be back with some more of this great email we got this week. Right after this on Around the House. Hey, uh, recently I went down to the Wayne Dalton Sales and Service Showroom, 1847 South Murray, and I, you know, I, I was just so impressed with 
the uh, the non-boring garage doors they have on display down there. If you want to decorate the outside of your house, and the garage door is a big part of the street scene of your house, you can get a uh, wood grain impression plank door at the Wayne Dalton Sales and Service in different architectural styles. And it's so handsome, you'll be amazed at how pretty a garage door can be. And, of course, it has the industry's best polyurethane-injected insulation in your Wayne Dalton garage door. And, and for a limited time now, they uh, have a deal going for Around the House listeners. 150 off a double, 75 off a single when you mention the program. Uh, and more good news, they have lots of doors in stock. Wayne Dalton Sales and Service, they're a genie dealer also. Visit them, 1847 South Murray, or call 719-382-9227. From your roof to your foundation and everywhere in between, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back. It's eight minutes before the hour on the Around the House program. A shout out to all of our friends listening in Casper, KTWO, the mighty 1030, 50,000 watt uh, blowtorch up there in Wyoming, right in the center of the state, covers Wyoming kind of like a blanket. And we're so glad they're part of the Around the House family here. Been, I've, been, I, I, I've lost track, but about 25 years they've been on the air with us. And they time shift the show to the old four o'clock time, but that's fine. We're so glad you're with us. Up there in Casper. <clears throat> this is from Brian. I'm hearing banging noises from my water pipe system. You may also want to know that I have one of those little tanks on the side of the water heater. Could that be the problem? That's called an expansion tank, and it's supposed to mitigate the noise in your plumbing uh, system. <clears throat> so uh, as the pressure in the system changes, there's a water-to-air bladder in that expansion tank. Uh, and it can sometimes fail. It may be totally full of water. The bladder may have may have uh, gotten a hole in it or a crack or something. So you might have a, a plumber like our Three Amigos uh, sponsor come out and check that out. Make sure the pressure regulator in the house is set properly. A lot of times, um, you you have the pressure water pressure is too high in the house. I like fifty five to no more than 60 pounds and you can measure that yourself you can buy a little pressure gauge uh, to screw onto the cold water faucet at your washing machine and that would uh, that's a good way to measure the pressure so make sure the pressure isn't too high and make sure that expansion tank hasn't failed sometimes you can <clears throat> uh, actually tap on it and you know it's half water half air and of course the tapping will sound different on one side or the other you can tell that way uh, there's a little on the expansion tie. I don't want to get too technical here, but there's a, a Schrader valve, which is a tire air pressure valve on the expansion tank. If you use, if you check the um, check the pressure and it's water coming out, you'll know that bladder has failed. But the expansion tank is supposed to absorb pressure changes in your in your water system, uh, and those are. Uh, most uh, many new homes have expansion tanks it really is a way to get rid of plumbing noises if yours have gotten worse then you may have some other issues like like the water pressure is just too high you got it it's like knowing the blood pressure in your own uh, body uh, knowing the water pressure in your house is a big deal because if it's, there's a leak uh, you can if the water pressure is too high you can get a flood um, you know before you before you know it you got a flood in the house so you want to our water pressure out here out west because we have so many hills and mountains foothills and so on 
the water tanks are usually up higher so the street pressure out in the city water mains can be really high 100 up to 200 pounds per square inch and you want any of that high pressure anywhere near your the inside of your house you want it down that 55 to 60 range and that's why you have a pressure regulator in your house and it can fail also so if the water pressure in your house is too high the 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 regulator which is a little gizmo right there where the water comes in from the city that may have failed so uh, if it has you need to know it uh, and get it replaced uh, because you don't want that high pressure inside your house because the little valves in your toilets dishwasher washing machine ice maker can't stand that super high uh, pressure kind of like as i say um, uh, there's a medical analogy there about strokes and all the kind of bad news because of high uh, blood pressure so um, you want to make sure the water pressure in your house um, is 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 okay here's one from who's this from Uh, from ed i'd like to remove some old paneling in the family room is there an easy way to get the glue off afterward um you know i wouldn't try to pull old paneling off the wall i bet this is from the 60s or 70s and we used in those days construction adhesive uh which is super strong uh it's it's sometimes polyurethane based but it's a very very strong adhesive and if you try to get the paneling off you're going to pull the drywall paper off with it and it's going to make a big old mess so i'd rather see you cover up the paneling than try to pull it off it'll be trust me it'll be as hard a job either way but the results will be better if you leave it in place <coughs> and excuse me it, it, the, the, it's fairly easy to do it, well it depends what your paneling looks like if, if it has a lot of knots and distress marks in it because so it looks like real wood you can use drywall taping compound and uh and and use and use a trowel and trowel right over all those imperfections and then put a layer of, of wallpaper on, uh, and th- that can sometimes uh, do the trick if you have, uh, you know, kind of a textured-type wallpaper. So I would cover it over with drywall mud, some wallpaper, and uh, then just – and that, that'll be it. Should we take that call? No, we'll, we'll take it off the we'll air. Take the off the air? Okay. We just Somebody just called in. Yeah, we only got – we're less than a minute, right? So, okay, very good. So old paneling, Ed, cover it up. Get some drywall mud and a trowel to fill in all the imperfections. Uh, do some uh, kills, primer, sealer, and put some textured wallpaper over it. Trust me, you'll be a lot happier with the results than if you try to yank it off the wall. It will not come easily. You'll have to re-drywall, which is another nightmare. So try to cover it up. I think you'll you'll like the results a lot better. Well, that's all she wrote for the program. Kathy Hook, again, thank you. Great guest, Colorado Springs fire department i hope to get kathy on maybe in a few more months we'll talk about additional fire safety she's very good and we appreciate her time on her day off chris moyer thanks for your help in the control room no problem and i i will see you next week huh and god bless have a wonderful week and we uh, hope you stay warm see you next time right here on around the house